Apostasy. The word apostasy means uh, falling away. When you think of the New Testament, and you think of an apostasy, my mind goes to uh, Hebrews. Uh, it's uh, probably, uh, the subject of apostasy is probably better covered in the book of Hebrews than it is in uh, any other New Testament book. Yeah. Apostasy is discussed, but in the book of Hebrews, it's actually taking place. And uh, that, makes, uh, that makes it uh, a very informative letter, uh, the Hebrew letter. Who is the uh, letter addressed to? Well, Hebrew people, uh, it would appear. Uh, when you read the letter, it's obviously speaking predominantly to people who were familiar with the Mosaic economy. And Gentiles, of course, they knew a little bit about it, but they didn't know much. And if you've ever read the book, you know that uh, the author goes into the Mosaic uh, rules uh, quite extensively. So the Gentiles would have had a very difficult time with that letter. It appears that those who named this book uh, probably hit the head right on the nail. Uh, it was written predominantly to Hebrews who were scattered all over the place. These were Hebrew Christians in particular. It wasn't written to non-Christians, but written to Christians, as are all the New Testament letters. They're all addressed to Christians except for, maybe, but I doubt it, uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, who are addressed to a man by the name of Theopolis, a Greek. Uh, more than likely, though, he was a Christian also. At any rate, uh, the, the letter was addressed to Hebrew peoples who were Christians who were scattered throughout the world. They were in a dilemma. They had a tough time uh, being a Christian. Uh, they were considered to be traitors to their race, traitors to their uh, religion. They had uh, abandoned the, the law of Moses and uh, turned to this Jesus who came out of Nazareth. And their, their folks, their leaders, the Jewish leaders in these various cities and synagogues, uh, they found this very repulsive, and they were angered by it, and they treated them very badly. Uh, the time in which they lived would have been one, for example, where a Hebrew Christian would probably had a hard time finding a job. When he went to the uh, corner store to pick up his kosher meats or whatever, uh, there's a good chance that the uh, owner of the store wouldn't trade with him. He wouldn't sell him anything. He'd have to go into a Gentile store and try to buy his food supplies. Their children would have been harassed, probably beaten up at school, <clears throat> because they were the children of um, blasphemers, those who had turned their, law, their back on the law of Moses. These people were having a very hard time, and they wanted to live, they wanted to get along, they wanted to be left alone. So what did they do? They tried to compromise between the Christian religion and the Mosaic religion. They tried to do them th the things in, in accordance with the law of Moses that would satisfy their, their fellows. But um, they weren't having much luck. And then on the other hand, what they seemed to have failed to understand was that you couldn't merge the two religions together. It just couldn't work that way. You were either for Christ or you were not. It was just that simple. And if you tried to blend the two religions together, you were going to fall flat on your face. Therefore, this letter was addressed to these people to teach them the importance of staying with Christ. They had been uh, obedient to the gospel. They were now Christians, and some of them were drifting away. Some of them had already drifted away, and it looked like many, many more would drift away if something didn't stop it. 
So Paul was commissioned to, oh, well, Paul, I think Paul wrote the letter at any rate, uh, commissioned to write this particular letter, send it out to the various peoples, and hopefully stay their departure, their apostasy from New Testament Christianity. And it's important because it's, it's my opinion that uh, this letter that we have, uh, why you may think, well, it's a one-time thing, is really not a one-time thing at all but it's probably something that's repeated every generation. The hardest thing to do, in my opinion, is uh, to remain faithful to Christ. That's hard. Obeying the gospel, if you believe, truly believe, that's simple, that's easy. You can be done with that in a matter of minutes. You can be a New Testament Christian. Staying faithful, well, that's, that's another story. People can uh, devoutly obey the gospel and after day after day after day after day after day after day living, it loses some of its appeal, appeal that it once held to us. At one time we thought it was so glorious to be a New Testament Christian, and now we find it to be something of a burden. Uh, we think about the negatives, all the things we're not allowed to do and we may feel like we're being punished we watch other people who who cheat and and they get by they do very well uh they they live the way they want to live and uh, as far as uh, material prosperity goes they're they're far out in front of us and when you live it every day after day after day after day after day uh, it becomes a tedious thing and Hopefully, before we become dissatisfied with the Christian system, hopefully we can catch ourselves drifting and um, come back to our first love. Okay, so that makes this letter so important. There, there are there are measurements. There are ways that you and I can measure ourselves in this letter that shows us if we're following in the same footsteps that these fellows uh, walked. And I want to talk about that for a little bit uh, this evening out of the sixth chapter of the Hebrew letter. Uh, personally, uh, I don't think it has much to do with us here at Center Grove, but it is a, it is a very widespread problem, I do believe. Uh, I talk to a, a good number of people uh, through the year, and I, I do think it's a, a very widespread problem. One of the things, and this is something, you know, whether I'm alive or dead, one of the things the church has to have is an adequate teacher. You must have a teacher who can teach the way teaching's supposed to be done. I've been here for 30 years, over 30 years now, and I'm supposed to be teaching now at a much higher level than I did 30 years ago. You've learned through those 30 years You've learned at the rate I learn, because I learn and I teach you. Then next week, it's imperative for me to come back and, and take you a little bit farther in your knowledge of Christ and his kingdom. The burden on elders, preachers, Bible teachers, people like that is incredibly awesome because if the preachers, the elders, the teachers, if they don't, excel in knowledge and understanding they can't pass it on to their students so one of the problems that arises is going to be in the category of preachers 
if preachers do not engage like they're supposed to engage in their leading the people of God to Canaan's land, they're not going to be able to show them how to get there because they themselves don't know where it's at. The Christian religion can be reduced to something it was never meant to be. That's what happened in the book of Hebrews. And that's what I want to talk about at least today and next week. So let's move, uh, let's, let's move forward. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4, talking to Hebrew Christians here also, no doubt these are part of the people who received the Hebrew letter to whom it was written, were the people uh, in the region of Galatia. You, you Christian peoples, you have become estranged from Christ. Estranged means severed or separated. They were, they were the children of God. They, 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 they were introduced to Christ. They, they fell in love with the Christ. And they gave their lives to Christ. And now, uh, in a short span of time, maybe no more than 10 or 15 years, maybe not that much, the, the, Paul's writing to them, and he's talking about them now being severed from Christ. What were they doing on Sunday? Well, they were going to church. That's what you do on Sunday. You go to church. What do you do? You listen to the preacher. You take the communion, sing the hymns. You give your means. What were they doing on Sunday? All that. They were doing all that. But they were doing something else at the same time. They weren't growing. And that was a problem. And because they weren't growing, they weren't keeping up with Christ. And in the process, they were severed from Christ because they found other teachings, especially the Mosaic, uh, to be appealing to take the place of Christ, no doubt because of the pressure they received from their fellows. You have become estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by law. Well, Moses said it. Piano. Well, David did it. That's what they were doing. They said, David did it. Why can't we do it? They were trying to be justified by the law. And what did Paul say? You have fallen from grace. When you do that, you fall from grace. You can't go back to Moses. You can't go back to David. You can't justify your actions on what those men did. They lived at another time under a different law. It's very different today. And there is no justification under the law. If it doesn't come from Christ, it's not supposed to be done. But today, how many, how many people that call themselves Christians will point to David as their justification for using mechanical music? Why do they do that? Somebody hasn't taught them any better. And they don't know what they're supposed to do. And so many have fallen from grace and they don't even know they fell. It's sad beyond belief, but it's very true. You see, it doesn't change. Nothing changes. People are the same. Generation after generation after generation. We, we, we change our clothes. We change our hairdos. We change certain things about our appearance, the way we work, yada, yada, yada. But the basic nature of people never changes. It's always the same old, same old. How could this happen? How could they possibly fall away? Well, the author gives them a rebuke in chapter 5, and this will 
this will get us started at least as far as this lesson is concerned. In uh, chapter 5, he, he brings up Melchizedek, an uh, Old Testament character, uh, a man to whom Abraham, the grand old patriarch, he paid tithes to this Melchizedek. That's how important he was. He was a very important Old Testament character. But they didn't know anything about him. You, you could say, well, what, Melchizedek, Christ is a, is a savior much like Melchizedek was. And they said, who in the world's Melchizedek? He, he's, a, he's a type of the Christ. But they, they didn't understand that. But they should have. Why didn't they understand it? it? Probably hadn't been taught. And they just didn't know any better. They were, they were babes looking for milk and then later meat, but they, they didn't get it. So the apostle can't, he can't reason with them about this man Melchizedek. But he goes on to say regarding Melchizedek, he said, I have so much to say about him that I'd like to talk about, that I want to teach you about, but it's hard, it's hard for me to explain. I don't know how to explain it to you. Why? Since you have become dull of hearing. Notice the phrase, you have become. Didn't happen overnight, didn't happen in a vacuum. At one time, they were very faithful in their life, and then over the process of time, they had become something different than what they were. They were no longer what they once were. Now they were something different. And what was that? They were now dull of hearing. The word dull comes from the Greek mantras, which means sluggish. In chapter 6 of the Hebrew letter, verse 12, uh, it's translated lazy. That's the idea that's conveyed with it. You, 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 you can't understand. It's hard for me to explain. Why? Because you've become lazy in your learning. You should have kept up with your studies about the Christ, but you didn't. And now I want to tell you about a man that you surely ought to know, one of the most featured characters in the Old Testament. But if I do, you're not going to understand what I'm talking about. So here we have this prime example that I can't use to get across a certain point. Why? Because now you're lazy. They, there was a time when they weren't lazy. Man, they were hungry. They wanted to know. They wanted to gobble up that knowledge. But they didn't feel that way anymore. That, that's gone. That appetite, that thirst for hunger and righteousness, it's not there anymore. Now they're, well, they're getting by. They're getting by. They're, you know, they're, they're still called a Christian. They're getting by. Everything's okay. You know, this happens to us too. That's one of the reasons why the apostle says we are to examine ourselves, examine our life. One of the ways I've tried to do it uh, during my life is to look back where I was and see where I am. And sometimes when I look back to where I was, what I felt like, things I wanted to do, accomplish, uh, sometimes I find out that you know, I, don't, I don't really care to do that anymore. Those, those feelings have subsided. And then you gotta ask yourself, why? Why has it subsided? You know, am I full? Have I got all knowledge? Have I come to a point where I don't need to learn any longer? What is it that's caused me not to desire this knowledge any longer? Well, according to the author here, you become lazy. You become lazy. Don't want to take the time. 
Don't want to use your mental faculties. You know, Bible study is hard work. Very hard work to learn the Bible. At least it's been for me. I'm kind of slow to learn anyway. But it's an it's a arduous job. It can cause your head to ache. Brother Guy Woods told me one time, you study till your head aches and study for another hour. <laughs> you seem like you never get done. But you will learn. And that's what he wanted them to do. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Now there's an obligation, that word ought. According to whom are we to be teachers? Who gave us this obligation? That, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can set obligations like that. Nobody else can. So Jesus has set an obligation before us. By this time you ought. You are obligated at this juncture in your life as a child of God. You see, Christianity isn't just going and sitting in a pew. It's, it's not, you know, it's not, not doing bad stuff. Christianity is a, is a very positive religion. Uh, it's very challenging to our character because we're trying to cease being one thing and become something different. But in order for us to become what we ought to become, we've got to know Jesus pretty good because he's the model that we're supposed to emulate. We have an ought that the Lord has placed upon us. By this time in your life, you, you became a Christian back yonder. Now you've lived and lived and lived and lived. Now by this time, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be doing the work of a teacher. You ought to be training others about the Christ, about his kingdom, about his expectations. There's enough time that's gone by. How much time is it? I don't know. Nobody knows it's going to be different for all of us. Some, it's going to be a, a much longer time before they're prepared to teach. Some will never be prepared to teach, not in a formal setting, because it's not meant for all people to be teachers in that sense. It's not meant for all people to be preachers in that sense. Some people are called to it. They must go, and others don't necessarily uh, have that call, that particular call. But nevertheless, we can teach somebody. It may be one, maybe two, maybe a good friend when you have coffee every morning. It may be somebody you eat your lunch with when you're at work. There's somebody somewhere you can't be teaching. And he said enough time has gone by that you ought. Christ has obligated you by this time to be a teacher. What are you doing about it? You see, I, I, I can look at myself in this mirror. It's, it's a mirror for my soul. I can look into this mirror, the word of God, and I can see whether or not I'm keeping pace with what the Lord wants me to do. Now, I don't have to. I can completely disregard it if I choose to. But you know as good as I do that one day we're going to stand in judgment. And this is the man that's going to judge us. Truth is, he's judging us now. And he'll judge us then. And his judgment will be righteous because it'll be based on what he expects and how we live. That's why it's so very important that we examine ourselves closely. 
instead of being a teacher, instead is my word, not the text. That's the meaning of it, though. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Notice the word again, all over again. You lost what you had. You had it. You didn't use it. You lost it. Now somebody's going to have to go back and teach you all over again. Okay, the, the first principles of the oracles of God, the, 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 the word of God. The first principles would be what we would call today the ABCs. Imagine yourself being at school or somewhere, and you're, and you're writing a paragraph. Your teacher comes up, peers over your shoulder, looks at what you're writing, and says, son, you need to go back and learn the alphabet again because you don't know how to use it. You're, you're spelling your words wrong. Your, your sentences, are, they do not smooth. They do not flow smoothly. Um, you need to go back to kindergarten and start all over again. How do you feel? Get angry. You get angry. But is it true? Sometimes we say, well, I can't teach anything. Do you know the first principles? Do you know the ABCs of New Testament Christianity? Well, yeah. Well, if you know the ABCs, there's something you can teach. You can teach the ABCs. You know how many people there are that don't know the ABCs of New Testament Christianity? There are millions of people that don't know it, understand it. And they need to. But as a, as a, the, uh, what? Wow, what? Guy that came up from Africa, the treasurer. And as he said, how can I learn if I don't have someone to teach me? Very hard, very hard to learn by ourselves. You need someone to teach you again the ABCs of the oracles of God. Learning the gospel is, is kind of like building a block wall. You, you lay the first run, and then you got to lay the second, and then you lay the third. You can't lay the third until you laid the first and the second. You understand? Well, if you don't know the ABCs, you can't go on to the second run. I remember one time a man, uh, he was an older man, probably in his 70s, I suppose. Um, he only went to church uh, once in a while, not much. Uh, and when he, uh, when he became a Christian, uh, somebody suggested to him that he might want to take the first principles class that we were teaching in the other building. And uh, he got angry. He said, you know, I don't need to be in a kindergarten class. Well, it's not really kindergarten class. It's first principles for people who become Christians. You know, what it means to be a Christian, what the Lord expects you to do. And oh, he got all upset. He came to me, talked to me about it. He never did, he never did take the, the first principles class. But he would have been so much better off had he done that. Because had he had a base, a foundation to build on, he could have constructed a much better life than what he was able to do without that knowledge. You, you've got to know the ABCs. These people knew it. But because they had been in neutral so long, they had forgotten it. Now they're going to have to go back and learn it all over again. You have come to need, as, as, as you have come to need to be taught again, 
the first principles, you have also come to need milk, which is, of course, for the babies, and not solid food, which is for the adult. This was, uh, this was uh, very hurtful, I would suppose, to these people. Because what he was saying, I'm sure they were offended by. He was telling them, by now, you ought to be adults, but you're still babies. You're still little babies. You, you, you don't know what you ought to know. And you've got to learn those first principles first. Well, what did they do? We know what they did. They continued on with their apostasy. And before long, there were, was a full-blown apostasy. They, uh, they did not return to Christ. And that's how it can happen. And that's how it does happen, as a matter of fact, when people apostatize. Chronology is not the equivalent of competency. That sounds a little bit awkward, uh, but I don't know how else to phrase it. Uh, chronology is how long you've been a Christian. 30 years a person's been a Christian. For 30 years, uh, they have uh, you know, gone to church and, and done everything we do. Uh, and then there's another person who has gone to church for 30 years. They've been a Christian for 30 years also. But their life as a Christian is much different. For example, uh, they go uh, and they experience one year's growth. And instead of going on in the second year, they simply repeat the first year. And they do that 30 times. How much do they grow? Well, they grow no more than what they first knew when they first became Christians. They put in the time. They've got the seniority. But they haven't become mature Christian people. They're lacking something. Something's waning in their life. And that does make a difference. The person who grows for 30 years and goes on to maturity, the person who repeats baby steps 30 times, they're still in a state of infancy rather than maturity. And they're not ready to face the world that a Christian person has to face. Because in order to face the world, we've got to have faith. And the person who doesn't go on to perfection, they're not going to have the faith because faith comes by knowledge of the word of God, Romans 10, 17. That's how we develop our faith. This is, is, is one of the most important lessons that needs to be taught in my estimation. Not necessarily here. I, I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, we have uh, 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 very knowledgeable people. We've had a number of preachers through the years who have who have spoken about the church here, about you, uh, how knowledgeable you are. When they eat dinner with you or something and, and they sit around talking to you, they're greatly impressed by the knowledge that you all possess. You, you've, been, you've been going forward rather than repeating. But everybody doesn't do that. A preacher one time told me he preached at a church for two years. He used uh, one of these little sermon outline books. And uh, I think it had 24 sermons or something like that, 30, whatever. And he preached for two years. And when he got done preaching for two full years, 
he told the elders that he needed to needed to leave. He preached everything he knew. And one of the elders said, uh, well, we forgot what you taught over the last two years. Just go ahead and start at the beginning again. You see, that's, that's repeating that infancy cycle. It's like school. If our children are in, in the 12th grade and they're, they're still learning how to read and write, we're going to be upset because we expect our children to be prepared to go out and face the world by the time they get done with the 12th grade. But if they're still trying to figure out how to put words together, we know they're not going to be ready for what they're going to face. And the same thing is true when it comes to us as Christians. We're supposed to be learning so that we'll be prepared to face the world we must face. And in order to face it successfully, we must have faith. And the only way that we can have faith is if we know the Lord personally. And the only way we can do that is through our studies. It's one of the reasons why Roman Catholicism, I don't think they have a, a, a faithful lot, but they have a, a committed lot. One of the reasons is uh, because a lot of uh, the Roman Catholics, the kids I grew up with, matter of fact, every one of them, uh, they went to a Roman Catholic school. And in, in, in addition to being taught mathematics, they were also taught uh, the scriptures from a Roman Catholic point of view, of course. Uh, when they got done, they were mistaken about what the truth of God was. But you heard the old saying, you know, once a Catholic, always a Catholic. You know, there's a lot of truth in that statement. You can't hardly move them off the nickel. It's, uh, it's important for us to learn. And I, I don't know how to stress it any more than that. Our author, he's going to go on and he's going to discuss it in a, in a variety of ways. I'm sorry, I pushed the wrong button. He's going to discuss it in a variety of ways when he talks about the first principles. Therefore, let us leave the discussion of the element, the ABCs. Let us leave the ABCs of Christ. It's time to get off of this stuff and move on to something else. Let us go on instead to perfection. Not laying again the foundation. Now here's the problems that they're, they're dealing with. These are the, the subjects they should have mastered by now. The first one, he says, is repentance from dead works. They ought to have that under their arm. The second one is, what does it mean to have faith toward God? They should have that under their arm also. And then, what about the doctrine of baptisms? All the baptisms we read about. What are we really supposed to know and understand about baptism? You know, we, we need to go back to school and learn all over again. What about the laying on of hands, important New Testament teaching? In the first century especially, not so much today, but it was in the first century. And then what about the resurrection of the dead? What are we going to say about the resurrection of the dead? How about eternal judgment? Do you know that many preachers in the churches of Christ today do not believe there's hell? Do you know that? It's true. They don't believe there's hell. Many modern authors do not believe there's hell. It doesn't exist. It's, 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 a, it's a tactic employed to move people to obey the gospel. But there's not a really, there's no real hell out there. And our brothers and sisters are being taught these things. And I suppose they believe it. The preachers stay around a long time.
But these were the things he wanted them to learn, and we're going to discuss these things next week, God willing. And uh, maybe I can uh, show you a few things you, you, you might not be familiar with, but you really should be, uh, Lord willing. Uh, I know this has been a really bummer of a sermon, uh, but it's, uh, it's important. It's, uh, my, my job is to help you get to heaven. That, that's it, man. That, that's it. You know, I'll be your friend and all this other stuff. My primary purpose is to help you get to heaven. In order for me to do that, I've got to do what I think are the necessary steps. I don't really think this is a problem for us, but there are principles involved that we must know. We must know and understand and move onward toward perfection. If you're not a Christian, you, you, you failed the purpose of life. The whole reason for our being here is to choose God over mammon. Well, that sounds kind of simple. That's because it is. It's really simple. You know, God knows we're not a bunch of rocket scientists. And he, he gave us the rules of life in a very simplistic way. And he wants us to make a choice, a single choice. Either we choose God or we choose mammon. It's our choice. We can do what we want, but we're supposed to persuade one another to choose God over mammon as Christians. Baptism isn't the end of the Christian religion. It's simply the doorway into the kingdom of God. The real work begins once we pass through that door. That's when we start emulating the person of Jesus Christ. And that's challenging, to say the least. 